0: Welcome in to Glen House Stories. This is going to be a fun podcast, kids. Uh, My guest for this story is Doug Oster. Now, an interesting thing that Doug doesn't know, uh, in my time in running a large wholesale nursery and in with plants and horticulture and gardening, I've known Doug's name forever. Um, we had a fair amount of customers in the Pittsburgh area. So I would go there. I think I even have caught him on a couple of the, the radio shows that he does in the area. I've read his columns over the time. Cause you know, when you're in Pittsburgh people and you're into gardening, you're just like, I wonder what the Pittsburgh gardening scene is like. So Doug, I have been aware of you all this time, but I don't know besides your professional work, how did you get in the, the gardening world?
1: Well, newspapers uh, was my first love, uh, and I was a, a photojournalist, uh, started, got hired full-time in 1979, and I got to a, a newspaper in Ohio, Medina, Ohio, and I, got, I bought my first house, and I just fell in love with gardening, and I had a, a sports editor there that was really into organic gardening, uh, Betty Zudlow, and I just, you know, I just, I became completely immersed in it. And she taught me everything about growing without using chemicals. And I I just started there. So I was working for the newspapers anyway. And at some point, uh, I started writing a column in Medina and people liked it. Uh, I moved to Pittsburgh to take a a picture editor job uh, with the Pittsburgh Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. And when I got that job, I'd already had the column. They asked me, could you still keep writing about gardening? And I was like, sure. And then just one thing led to another. I did a, a little segment on the local CBS affiliate about the year in pictures. Like my boss called me and said, hey, can you, can you go do this thing at uh, KDKA? And I'm like, sure, I guess. And I got a taste of the, the TV thing. And a producer saw me there and said, Would, could you come in Saturday mornings and do a little you know, garden instructional thing? And I'm like, sure. And then after that, the radio uh, station was in the same building. I ran into the you know program director blah 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 you know and then I went from that newspaper to we had two, we still have two newspapers in Pittsburgh uh, I, the gardening thing became just uh, a very popular and at a certain point I left photo and was just writing full time and taking pictures and and building the web presence uh, early on uh, b- before a lot of people. I just knew that the web was, you know, going to be something. And, and it was funny because newspapers were just in a way such dinosaurs and move so slowly, nobody was, you know, they just didn't like, why do we have to do this? I just want to write my story. I said, no, 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 just do this too. You'll, you'll, you'll be glad you did. And then I went to the other newspaper Tribune Review, Pittsburgh Tribune Review. And last year, right after, um, Uh, eight days of double shifts working the home and garden show. (laughs) I got laid off because of COVID and uh, the guy who did it, I really didn't know him that well. I felt bad for him, but he just told me, I said, I said, should I plan on coming back? And he goes, well, I'm not sure, but I would just, uh, you got to take care of yourself. And that, uh, you know, since I'd always had an employer since 1979 and always was, you know, I was a big fan of newspapers and I was, 60 years old, uh, that was luckily the right time. You know, it was like, I was really scared, but it ended up there was work. Uh, you know, uh, uh, there was work for me. I was, uh, always like to brag that I, <laughs> I got hired six hours after I got laid off by one place, a uh, farm to table of Western Pennsylvania said, Hey, you want to do some zoom classes for us? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And, uh, Since then, I've probably done, seriously, well, I'm sure you have too, a hundred different things via Zoom, and it's going to change everything for me, and I think for the gardening community.
0: Let's expand that a little bit, because I'm curious of that time when you, you first start working at the paper with gardening as your primary role there, what does it look like? I mean from my vantage point i come into plants more in like that mid 2000s range so the internet and technology the industry is probably still pretty reluctant at that time but the media landscape at that moment in the 2000s is I'm sure very different even from what you experienced then. I mean, we've got, what's the most influential thing? I mean, is it the local papers? Is it the national magazines? What did you feel at that time was influencing garden trends and what were you seeing?
1: I I felt that actually at that period, the newspaper was still the big thing. Uh, But uh, I I had, I had done work for the local, Uh, PBS station, uh, writing, producing, and uh, on air. And I just, I learned from those guys how to do the video side. And so what it looked like was I would write my weekly column, but I had a weekly video. I had a daily blog. I had these additional layers that I didn't complain about doing because I, I knew when we got, at some point, actually even before the 2000s, I thought that it would be over for newspapers. There was a a, a period there where it was just, it seemed grave. And then it came back for a little bit and to to take it as long as I, I did, I'm just, I'm basically doing the same exact thing now that I did for the newspaper without jumping through as many hoops. And that's not a, that's not a knock on on them. It's just, that was the way it is. You know, you've got editors and mid-level editors and, you know, When it's all running smooth in the print industry, you've got these great people, these great editors that are are molding your work and helping you with your work, but they're not putting a thumbprint on the lens. (laughs) Uh, That's just rare when that all clicks like that. And so now there's no one to put the thumbprint on. Uh, It's me, it's me. And that could be a good thing, that could be a bad thing. Uh, I had great editors that made me a better writer now that that work might not be as technically uh, I don't know, it it's just it's more
0: me. yeah, I, uh, I think that's a that's a really great way to say it. i One of the things that's always confused me, I'd be curious of your opinion on this that for the better part of forty years, whenever you looked at top hobbies uh, in the country economically. Gardening would be on that list, if not number one, at least in the top three people would talk about within the industry, how much money is spent on gardening and uh, associated categories. But yet at the same time, Doug, it always felt like in the traditional media side of it, they weren't as supportive of it. You know, clearly the easy one here to pick on is HGTV, right? There's no G in HGTV. You guys have heard us talk about this on the podcast before. What was that? Because you were in those trenches, right? you were you were in the, it, the media world with that at some level. It,
1: it was awful because uh, I may I made that same case a hundred times in a meeting along around a big giant table with a bunch of you know people who don't really get it. And I heard I heard from from the people uh, one of the things that I love to do is 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 interact with with at the time it was readers. And what was fascinating about that is when I would come up with these projects that would be interactive with the reader, there was a lot of blowback from these big tables. Like, you know, you're never going to get any seeds back. It's, people just want things for free, blah, blah, blah. I, they didn't understand the gardening community would, would, would learn about this tomato. It was grown in Pittsburgh. A guy w- who's now 75 years old walked around 50 years, 60 years ago in a wagon with the tomatoes in the back and giving them to neighbors blah 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 it's a great tomato you grow it out and you send me the seeds back and we will keep this tomato going you know forever which we have uh i i had to i had to go to to 10 different managers and tell this story and i got the same that same answer was like they're like how ridiculous you're going to go to all this work you're going to send out these seeds and people <laughs> how they're not going to well the first year i got 140,000 seeds back this is just from Pittsburgh. This is before it went, you know, the internet got it. And so it's very frustrating. And I know there's a lot of people that were going through this in the gardening world where for, for many people, it was just, it was the thing they waited for on Saturday or, or Sunday's paper, like get me to the garden section. And I I always heard through my whole newspaper career, like, why isn't there more gardening? And the same complaint with, uh, you know, w- with HGTV or, or other similar things like that. Why isn't there more gardening uh, information? You know, I always, I always had a joke that uh, I didn't have an Australian accent and I wasn't built like a weightlifter, so I was never going to make it <laughs> in video. But, um, you know, I, I've, I've got my, uh, my fan base here in Pittsburgh and, and beyond now. Uh, The interesting thing about making the switch, uh, uh, leaving a newspaper or being asked to leave a newspaper, uh, is that people don't know it. They still think it's been three or four years since I've been at the Post-Gazette. People still think I'm at the Post-Gazette. They still think I'm with the paper. They don't know. It's just it's in their feed. And so, again, it was fortuitous to be to leave that industry at that time. I I, tell you the truth, I wish I was still in that industry because I I loved being part of newspapers. But on the other side, the the hoops that you jump through that now that you're on your own, I just I never knew I could make it on my own. I had a lot of friends that were making it on their own. I just didn't want to have to do all that work. I wanted to work towards promoting the newspaper site. You know, and so when when they had one gardening with Doug or everybody gardens or whatever it was, everything I focused on was to get them numbers, so that it would keep me employed, and uh, they would just see like, oh, um, I guess we should keep this guy around one more year. When I did those, when I when I was doing those that seed project when I was at the Post Gazette, after I would announce it in the paper because the paper just gave you this incredible reach. I would get boxes, big boxes from the post office, three of them the the next Monday or Tuesday. And I would leave them on my desk. And like an editor would walk by and he'd be like, what's all that? And I would just say, oh, it's just the fan mail. We're getting to the garden season. So they would think like, Jesus, guy's getting letters. Well, well, when we get that big meeting around that table and we're talking about who we're going to get rid of, which happened all through the, you know... (laughs) 2010s and, and beyond, uh, they might think, okay, well, you know, he's got a radio show, he's on TV every week, and the local affiliate. I saw all these letters on his t- on his desk. <laughs> Do you so, think that some of it was
0: the, the lean in gardening content has been a lot of uh, how-to type content And not a lot of storytelling. And I know that's something that you've always focused on. Is is telling people gardeners stories. Telling about the history of a plant. The history of a person. There's so much there. There, I think there was more depth to the category. Over the last 50 or 60 years. Than many people explored. Uh, I think a lot of the content was very like top five this. And there's a place for that. But it's clearly not as engaging as some of those stories that that you've, I'm sure, seen over the years.
1: For me, it, it's the how-to stuff is important. And I want it to be part of the story, but I want the story to be about the person. What's uh, one of the kind of the things that drives me crazy about, and I have a lot of friends, really good friends that that do this and have to do this. Just like you said, 10 easiest plants the sun in the the shade against deer and this and that. And I know, you know, because I'm older, uh, you know, I know you have to write it a certain way for SEO and all this stuff. But for me, I I guess I'm the dinosaur in a way because I just, at this point in my career, I'm kind of just doing what I love to do. And even if I, if I didn't get the, you know, I got another gig after that farm to table one where I'm writing a weekly column. Even if I didn't have that, I would just be—I would still be writing it. It would just be for my website instead of theirs. I've, I've kind of followed in a way the same that newspaper model. I, I don't really need the numbers for this this story, you know. These people hired this website, Pittsburgh Earth Day. Uh, I work for this newsletter called The Green Voice, which is part of them. They hired me to write a weekly column. I want them to get the most benefit out of it. Again, to keep me around for as long as possible. I could do it for my website, and it's on my website. But they're getting—I'm getting one hit, but they're getting the hits. I want them to get the hits. It's my, it's my same old old style, but it's—it's been—it's almost been a year now, and it's just been um, amazingly wonderful. Uh, when I was at the newspaper, when I was doing all that for both those papers and beyond, you're just—you're working seven days a week, you know, six days minimum with the radio show. And, and, you know, grinding it out in the winter, you know, trying and do a weekly garden video in Pittsburgh where, you know, I, I, I was plowing snow. That's why I'm wearing my hat. I was plowing snow all morning on my driveway, praying to get my wife up there when she gets home from work. Uh, and so it it's just, uh, I can't wait for the season to begin. We're so close for me. We're so close to seed starting. And, uh, and, and again, it's, it's the, one of the benefits of social media has been, I've been able to find more stories easily. If I just post something on say what's going on on your windowsill, you know, after I post a picture of a, a paper white or a forsythia forcing, Every once in a while in those 40 comments, there'll be somebody who will say, well, I'll, I don't have much going on my windowsill, but I had to build a cage around my garden to keep the deer out. And I'm like, tell me more.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I, and that for me is really what I find so interesting about the moment we're in. Like you said, that the, the way that you can engage with an audience, the way that we see what people are doing It's taken us out of this very linear way that so many people wanted to present gardening and horticulture over the years to me, that it's the zone thing. Doug. Like This is a great example of this, that where I'm at and where people in the Pacific Northwest are at is technically the same zone, although our weather couldn't be any different. And it's a topic that you can explore in whatever way you want to right it, it, there's no like limitation like you were saying in the in the world of paper or seo it's there's a liberation to it that as you mentioned you know the people at the the big t- conference table types that you don't have that thumbprint like you mentioned it is is that part of it for you? I mean, you've got this wealth of experience, this wealth of storytelling that you've done in sharing other people's gardens along with your own that, that now it's just, like you said, I mean, is there more anticipation almost for you now
1: going into a gardening season than there has been maybe in a while? Well, for, for one big reason actually is because of the pandemic. The pandemic has, dri- you know, if you're going to get, as a garden writer, if you're going to get laid off, Get laid off right when a pandemic starts. I mean, it's been awful for so many people, but the garden industry has been has been. I've never seen anything like it, and and so it's thrilling to be able to help the young, first time, second time homeowners. I probably get the most out of that, and and as we get more and more of them, it just you know if you can just you can just gardening, you know, lifelong learning hobby or activity definitely but if you could boil it down for them to just like three things i like to do three things i was was in this event here in pittsburgh called (laughs) dancing with the celebrities of pittsburgh and whenever they do anything that says the word celebrity i'm in you know I, i don't care what it is now i'm i i'm not a dancer and so i i was just terrified but this instructor you know taught me how to do it and so I said well let me show you she had five kids I said let me show you how to garden we went to the garden center and the next day she texted me she's like I'm completely overwhelmed tubers perennials this and that and that's when I realized I had to figure out a way to boil this down and so it's just it's basically just improve the soil know when to put the plants or seeds in and don't let them dry out now anybody that's garden knows there's a lot more to it than that but if you can just start off with that it just makes people like they, – They many people think it's just such a mystery or a black magic or what's the green thumb and this and that. And, like, you know, if you put something like a tomato into a big thing of compost, spend five bucks on a bag of compost and you put a tomato plant in there at the right time and pound a steak in there, pretty good chance. And don't let it dry out. Just throw some straw around the outside. Pretty good chance. And if you add – Four or five more plants, and they're different kinds of plants, and you put them in different spots. Pretty good chance you're going to be one of those people. that's going to be enjoying a homegrown tomato, and that—that's just—it's just. And so many of these first and second time homeowners now, they—they they didn't grow up like I did with a somebody showing you. This is there, there was no question about having a garden. <laughs> Everybody had a. Everybody had a garden. What do you think that perception,
0: because I get that all the time too, where there's almost this perception that there's some kind of alchemy going on here, Doug. Like we have some kind of magic spell that we're casting. Where do you think that comes from? It feels like people think there's this secret, and once there's like an alchemy and we have tips and tricks and, and somehow that's what they don't know that we do know, where do you think that comes from?
1: I think oftentimes that is uh, just going out there and somebody saying, Hey, you know what? We should have a garden. Okay. And they really don't know what to do. And they throw some seeds in some really bad clay soil and it, it kind of grows and it, it looks okay, but then they kind of forget about it. And then a rabbit comes in and they just say, I got a brown thumb. You know, whenever I, whenever I hear that, that I, I jump out of my seat and I'm like, there's no such thing as a brown thumb. Oh, I have one. I, and then I, I go into my those three things. I'm just telling you to have, it doesn't have to be those three things. Whatever it is that, that you do to make your garden great, you just tell them simply and it, it you'll just watch somebody when you do that. Watch somebody who, who, who wants to grow something, but they think like that, That like, what, what is the, you know, do I have to say a spell? Do I have to spin around? <laughs> do I have to be facing the moon when it's, you know, full? Uh, if you could just, they just light up. They're like, really? Like, yeah, just trust me, you know? Just trust me. Uh, and and I, I, I do a lot of that. I do a lot of that, trying to talk people down you know they'll look at one of those beautiful pictures of a, a shrub border or something like that and say well you know that yeah you can do that but you, you you've got to think about it you you've got to think about how big the plants are going to get you got to think about and then and, the, and always the number one question is what should i grow and if you tell people grow what you love you'll never be disappointed. That's not true. I, and I, I always say like, well, that's not true. You, you will be disappointed, but plants die. If you see something in the nursery, or if you see something that, that you, you were, your parents or somebody grew or somebody you love, and and you love that plant, something about the flowers, something about the veggie, whatever it is, just figure out a way to grow it and, and you won't be disappointed. And if you just accept the fact that plants die and I always tell them, no matter how long I've had it, no matter what, how it dies, I always say something happened to it before I got it. <laughs> That's all it could be. You know, it, it must have been, must have had some root rot or something ten years ago, and 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 now it's it's finally caught up. And now we'll plant something different.
0: Well, and I mean, it's not far off from the truth sometimes, Doug. Somebody who ran a large wholesale nursery, I can I tell people this all the time. We'd row out a thousand of something, and you know, you knew there were going to be a certain percentage that just weren't going to make it. It's just the way it goes. Right. And we do everything technically right. These are our crops. Our profit is linked to these. And we had like a 5% rule. If we have 5% loss, it's expected. If we go over 5%, now we investigate a little bit more. And I don't, I think there's a bravery attached to gardening sometimes where you just go, yeah, stuff happens. This is some of this is out of our control. Some of it's in our control. Like you said, I think you can boil gardening down to some basics. And then that next level of gardening is the beauty of its complexity at times where it, it becomes this almost philosophical journey. If you really embrace it, how would you define like the Pittsburgh gardening culture. And and I, I, when I was thinking about questions to ask you, I thought about the food world, right? In the food world, we, we have this perception of some cities as they have a food culture of restaurants, or maybe there's some kind of iconic, I I know in Pittsburgh, what there's the sandwich with the French fries, the one place, like everybody's got to bring up. If they go to Pittsburgh with a food show, you're seeing the sandwich with the French fries here in Nashville. It's hot chicken. in, in your time there in Pittsburgh, because you've been so closely linked to it, is there a gardening culture that's sort of like an equivalent, would you say, sometimes?
1: Well, what's interesting is uh, I came up with this little tagline, and I used it first for the radio, little features called Everybody Gardens, because it's it's a very old population, second only to to Florida. And in that way, it makes it a great place for somebody like me because in some way or another, and I don't mean four acres, I mean, tomato plants on the side of the, the house, uh, marigolds here, there everybody in some way seems to garden. And, and so that's, it's just a wonderful thing. If you drive from, you know, my area, seven miles North of, of downtown Pittsburgh, and drive towards University of Pittsburgh through these neighborhoods. You're going to see old-fashioned climbing roses. You're going to see pots on the front of a porch. Uh, it's just, it's just, it, it really is. Everybody, everybody gardens in some way or another, and so that makes it a little easier. Uh, what about Nashville? I I don't want to hijack, but what is what is because Nashville to me. From my point of view, and only visiting once, it's the coolest place in the world.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think Nashville, I think the South has an interesting history with gardening. I think it's um, it's complicated, Doug, at times. I think the way people look at it, the heat is a bit of a deterrent for people. There's definitely a, a focus on spring. And then there's a giant drop-off. I, I think you have a community that is April and May are like, we're gardening. And then suddenly the nineties start to creep in and there's 90 more of those nineties coming. And people tend to be like, okay, I'm done now. And I'll wait for the chrysanthemums to go outside the door uh, in the fall. So there's this um, odd thing. I I think what's been interesting for me is I didn't grow up with gardening is I actually think this is an incredible climate to grow things oh, yeah. because we have a very mild winter compared to, you're, you're talking about having to plow snow so your wife can just get back into your house. Um, it's 52 degrees here today. Um, I can grow hellebores like nobody's business. It's incredible to watch them just sort of sail through the, the winter um, and many of the people that I know in colder areas are like, how, 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 how do you grow all this? Like, like we, we have like real winter. So we have like fake winter, but I, I'd say overall it's, it's not maybe where I would like to see it, Doug. That's the long winded answer in that, that I, I think it's, it's interesting. Cause I, I agree with you, like areas like Pittsburgh areas in the new England area, there is definitely a more, um, there's more of a gardening culture. And I think in some ways, you know, sophisticated is a bit of a snobby word for it, but just maybe more of an advanced gardening culture than what I see at a place like this. Well, I think when
1: you're explaining Nashville, it it helps me explain Pittsburgh because summer is is so, spring and, and summer are so important here. Yeah, we do get some humid 90 degree days, but it'll go for three days and then we'll be back to, you know, cool nights and uh, summer is so, is is just a celebration because we, we remember this, uh, th- this uh, <laughs> pure white snow. Mm. <laughs> you see my amaryllis there too, yes. you know, like, and, and I got forsythia on the other windowsill and a poinsettia there, anything I can do, anything that I can have growing in here. My wife said it the other day, she's like, this house is, is, is all gardening. (laughs) And I said, well, that's what I do for a living. She goes, I know, but I went over there to get a paper towel and the forsythias (laughs) fell over and I had to fill up the thing with water again. That's why I had to move him to another part of the house. Well, I I think Um, it
0: was, it was one of the things when I would start working with clients around the country and I, I noticed this cultural difference very quickly, people would use the phrase in colder climates when spring breaks People were were waiting. And like you said, I think in an area like here in in like the Mid-South and the Southern US, we sort of take it for granted. There's not that moment where we all go, is it spring yet? And you look
1: outside Uh, here. it's moderate. Here's an interesting story. I had a friend, a high school friend who moved to Florida and I was just like, oh my gosh, it must be so great. He goes, you know what I miss? He goes, it's the day you walk out and you smell spring spring you smell spring in the air we don't have that here and and he goes that i miss that so much and and i know that i know what he's talking about we all do here that there's a, there is one day when it's the rays blows and i don't know what's blooming or what's there's something about it like oh yeah we're going to have some we're going to have some stuff before that okay and th- that's when i got to jump in too you know you'll here you'll get it'll go to 70 all of a sudden, like you were in snow and now the crocuses are blooming. I mean, in three days, the crocuses are blooming from, from being completely dormant. People are just like, okay, let's get our tomatoes in the ground. And I'm like, no, 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 slow down, slow down. Oh, wait, 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 you know, from from experience. And I believe me, I have to preach this everywhere every year. Don't put those plants in because the, the, the sad thing is, is that, uh, some of the big like box stores and stuff, they'll sell you anything. And, and it's like, oh, it breaks my heart. This is one of the things that, that, that why people don't garden is they go buy stuff before it should be put in. It's, it looks so beautiful. And it's like, and it's such a beautiful day in April. You know, we can't plant tender crops without protection safely until around mid May. And and it can be anywhere from May 10th to 27th, you know, you got to really watch the weather. And so as an experienced gardener, we always we leave that, leave that main crop for that big day. There's always that usually a big weekend, like, okay, it's either Mother's Day or Memorial Day. Here we go. This is the start for normal people. Uh, for people like me, it's like, you know, it's it's St. Patrick's Day. Even if it's snowing out there, I'm planting my peas on St. Patrick's Day because my grandmother told me that's when you start your peas. I don't care if I have to put them in peat pots. I don't care if I've got to put them under plastic. They're going in on St. Patrick's Day. And on St. Patrick's Day, there could be snow on the ground. You never know.
0: How much of your time in in, in writing and now the content that you're producing is sometimes almost battling against that? I notice one of the things that's obvious that I get a lot of questions about because we've grown so many dahlias over the last few years is the big box stores will bring in these bulbs sometimes as early as January. The tubers sit there in the store for months and months in an eighth of a cup of peat moss. The quality <laughs> of the the plant just deteriorates. I mean, you would too, right, kids? If you're sitting in peat moss at a big box store under fluorescent lights for three months, and then people go and they plant it. And like you or you said, in the case of people planting out too early, they have failure with it how much of it has been sort of this education of people that, Hey, 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 you know, I I know these people are selling you this right now. (laughs) I know they are, but Hey, there's a
1: little more to the story than just it's on a shelf right now. It's a big part of what I do, uh, depending on the weather. And I will spend a lot of time as a guest locally on all sorts of different shows to try and get the message out because it's, as soon as I, you, you know, somebody will just off the cuff say like, Oh, what a great weekend. This would be a great weekend, you know, to, to plant. And I'm just like, even, even, you know, some of my friends that are, that are, that do the weather here, I hear something and I'm like, I text them right away. Like, dude, that's not right, man. <laughs> You're going to get people going and, and, and buying these plants. And, and they're going to be so disappointed because I don't, I don't care what's happening sometime in May you're it's gonna drop below thirty-two degrees and I know it doesn't seem like it could ever be possible right now when when you're in April and you're approaching 80 degrees and the soil is warming up but it's going to happen it's going to happen I mean uh, so trust me <laughs> no and, and if and you I'm want if you the, want to do it that early there's tricks but don't do your whole
0: crop that way. How do you think, um, give us a quick, for those of us that, that don't know it as well as you do, how much do you think the the Phipps Conservatory has influenced the the view of gardening in the Pittsburgh area? Do you think
1: there's any link between those two things? I think there definitely is. Not only the gardening community, but this place in the past 10 years has become this amazing, sustainable Organic, uh, you know, they've got a building, an office building, three-story office building that uh, is net <laughs> doesn't use water, doesn't use energy, and yet you can walk into this beautiful building, and it feels very comfortable no matter what time of the year you're, you're at. But the, from the gardening standpoint, it's kind of the the golden jewel, you know. Uh, it, it's like especially, you know, they do a, a traditional. Uh, you know, spring flower show, fall show, holiday show, that spring show is all, you know, it's designed, each t- each time it's different, it's designed differently with a different theme, but to just to be able to go somewhere and, and see daffodils and crocuses and everything and tulips and everything in full bloom, it just, it's inspiring. Right now, that, that it would be uh, orchids and tropical bonsai. Uh, and for the winter to see those orchids it's stunning i actually there there's one where i went to Phipps. i did a tv seg on the orchid show orchid and tropical bonsai show and afterwards uh, i go with the uh, a marketing person and i just photograph everything i love with my background in photography you know people are always saying like geez, your garden pictures are, are so nice. And I, I'm thinking it's, it's so easy compared to a linebacker, you know, or whatever it might be. I, I love it. And so I photographed these orchids and I get a message from a woman I know who, from the Orchid Society. She goes, do you know the name of that orchid? I'm like, no, nah, I have no idea. She says, it looks like the one named after me. And so then I, te- I text my friend who's the, uh, she does the, the shows. And she says, it's called Carolyn Smith Bolton. I said, that's a local woman. You know, and so that becomes a story. I can't wait to write that story. I'm waiting to get, uh, you know, you know as well as I do that when you're working with uh, plant people, they're not always people people. And so I'm trying to get this breeder guy who named it after this woman to email me back. I've got an email back, but you know, it's it's really slow. I need that part of, I I don't need that part of the story, but I want that part of the story. Why did you, why did you, you know, I know you came into town. I know she picked you up at the airport. I know that you're both orchid people, but why her? Why do you name this beautiful orchid after her? That's all I need. Let's
0: go there for a second, Doug, because you just brought it up. Um, (laughs) And people have heard me uh, lament about this subject on the podcast and on Instagram and social media. There are times we have these incredible stories with plants The Just even some of the the fundamental stories about plants, a plant that was rare, hard to find in its native area, and people went there and they collected it. And now fast forward 40 or 50 years and we have these incredible hybrids, but without that initial work, none of it's in our garden. And we have these breeders that do this, and they dedicate their lives to it, and they spend 60, 70 years sometimes. I mean, the the intersectional Ito peony story is the most famous, of course. He breeds the peony and doesn't even live to see the the plant uh, develop. But yet, Doug, as you just said, sometimes it's pulling teeth to get people to participate in telling these stories, but sometimes they like, you just said, they're their stories, Doug. Uh, and and I think you said it right. Like, you know, plants, people, sometimes are plants, people, not people, people, but what do you think that is? And has it hurt your work sometimes? Has it hurt sometimes where you're like, man, I wish we could get these people just to talk a little more to tell these
1: stories. Sometimes, sometimes, but even in this case, I'll be able to tell the story, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll figure out a way to tell the story. I just want this component, but a a good example of plantsmen not being people, people is one of my, there's a favorite place, you know, up on a road where you wouldn't normally stop where it just has this old sign. And I know the guy loves rhododendrons and azaleas more than anything in the world. And the last time I went there, he was sleeping in his car, you know, and he's just not a, a talker, but he knows his plants. And so, one of the things that I think that I'm, I, I hope I'm good at, is getting these people to open up. And so, all I need to do with this email, I've got an email back, but I can see he's reluctant. But I'm going to keep after him in a nice way, you know. And if I can, I know that if I can just get him on the phone, that 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 we can just start talking and it'll happen. They have a perception of what you are, of what somebody like I am. It, this person doesn't know me. You know, all these people in Pittsburgh, oh, that's the garden guy. Oh, yeah, I want to talk to him. You know, you ever see his garden? It's, it's not one of those pretty whatever. This guy doesn't know me. So he might have a, a fear of, of what I'm going to ask him or this or that. You know, in all the work I'm, I've done in the past, whether it's, uh, you know, filming people or interviewing them, my job is to make them feel just relaxed and comfortable as if they're just talking about something. And so explaining is a big part of what I do. Like if I'm going to interview you, it's just like, well, we're just doing it all on tape. And I only, I'm only going to take the best things you say. And I'll tell you, they're just like, Oh, cause I thought the whole thing was going to be in, you know, explaining ahead of time, get getting them to know you. I always do a pre-interview before an interview, especially something like a, a video interview and I've had some, some cases where I, I, I did this uh, documentary called The Gardens of Pennsylvania for PBS. And I had one guy, he worked at a, a university and he, he took over the grounds from his father. And, and it was a wonderful story. He, he called me 10 times before I drove to Scranton, PA and, and was really worried. And when I interviewed him on camera, I couldn't get anything. And I told the photographer who was a friend of mine, I said, do not stop rolling under any circumstances. And so the guy's shooting, you know, B roll of the tree and stuff. I start sitting and talking with this guy, just as if we're sitting there, he he opens up like, Oh, well, the weeping Alaska cedar. I'm telling you, this is a weird tree because let me show you. I went to this auction and I'm like, Oh, this is gold. This is gold. (laughs) Uh, and then I could, you know, I, I filled it in with, you know, pictures of trees and pictures of his father, and and I got a little bit more out of them. And and because it's very nerve-wracking for a normal person to just to, to for, for me to just, you know, for anyone just to start interviewing or shooting them or whatever it might be. You you've got to put them at ease. I worked with a producer once and I get these people talked down and I'd get them getting ready to go. And then she would say something, you need an ender, Doug. What are you doing? And I'm just like, I just got the guy to, to finally relax.
0: <laughs> I think that is is a really good way to put it. I mean, there's in in doing the podcast, there are so many people who I think the podcast format sometimes is intimidating in itself because sometimes for many of these people, you know, they have no idea, right? They haven't listened to a, a podcast, regardless of how many of us think it's it's commonplace. But for many of them, it's not. And I also think there is, uh, I'm curious of your opinion on this too. When you go into the, the murky waters, you're deep in the horticultural, plants, person, nurseryman kind of world, Doug you really have to speak their language and some of that language of course kids is nomenclature and taxonomy and you get into that world have you experienced some of that where they're almost I don't want to say the word outsiders because it makes it sound a little bit too cabalish but there is this you know they're an in international plant propagator society and they're in this kind of world and they're like we don't we don't we don't have outsiders if we're not in our little clique. We are not as receptive sometimes.
1: I always try to present it as they are the expert, and I don't know anything about what they do. In many cases, when I'm doing interviews, it's more about what I say to the person back and forth than the actual important data that I know I'm going to get. But I just had a pre-interview a couple of days ago, woman moved to Austin. First thing I talk about, like, Austin, man, that's got to be a cool music city, right? She goes, well, you wouldn't believe this. When COVID hit, I saw one show, and that was it. And then I started saying, well, you know, I know somebody in Austin, and it's Willie Nelson's daughter, and she's teamed up with Woody Guthrie's grandda- great-granddaughter. And he's, she's like, really? I'm like, yeah, they're right in Austin. Yeah, we're going to talk. When we do this interview on Thursday, we are going to talk about uh, the, the technical things, but when you have that kind of background with somebody before you get on with them, they're just like, oh, okay. And 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 I, I'm not asking her a lot of technical questions about this thing I'm going to ask her about, the, the, the subject of the podcast. I'm going to pretend like I don't – well, I'm not even going to pretend. I don't know much about it. And so that allows me to answer, ask questions that regular people would want to know. And I find that those experts, they like that. I'm not trying to top them, or I'm not trying to, you know, come up with anything that's going to throw them off or anything. I want their information, I want their expertise, and I treat it that way. Uh, I'm never even even if it's something that I'm just like super passionate about that I like growing all winter. You know, I could interview somebody about that. I would warn them that I do it, but but I want the way they do it all winter, and I don't want to say, well, you know if you use rosemary, you know, this rosemary, you'll, you'll be able to grow it all winter. It would be, I would say something like that afterwards when they were saying, well, I've had trouble with rosemary. I said, well, I heard that there's this one rosemary, you know, once you, you know, okay. You know, so I just don't want to be competition. When I'm talking to somebody that really knows their stuff right off the bat, I, I am in a position where you're the expert. I just want, I want your information. And uh, I just did one. I, I had a uh, since a trade show called Mance, M-A-N-T-S, was virtual. I missed my trip to Baltimore, which I love every year. I mean, I stay at the same place. There's a little French restaurant across the way. I love being there. I've got so many friends. Well, they did like a, a Zoom thing like this. And again, the expert from this huge farm that's producing perennials he was just he was talking like that you know taxonomy and stuff like that but he said he said one thing and they're always trying to push the newest thing he said but you got to remember that people oftentimes even though we have this great new stuff and i think it's great they always go back to what they know works and that gave me an idea and so that's when i reached out to him i'm like hey I'll I'll push that one new thing you have but I want to hear about first off the things that that are the things that that people will will always go back to and I want to know from his point of view what were the things that you released that you knew were great as far as plants but for some reason or another didn't make it I and, and so when you approach it from that perspective I interviewed three people with that premise and even though they, they know more than you could ever know about these plants. They were so excited to talk about it because they, they they said, well, this one, this one, man, this is indestructible and people should grow it. This one never made it, but oh my gosh, look, it, it's, a, it's a tiny version. It's a big version. It's a, you know, and then finally this new thing, he goes, you know, I want people to know about this new thing because it's better than the old thing. How much so, do
0: you think that's a balance that's been under talked about? And, and I th- you're you're completely right on this. There's so many growers who you talk to who the, the industry has this push for new, right? We want new because new sells somehow better than old, but it almost feels like, I mean, Echinacea, we've talked about on the podcast before, it's one that got into this routine where it was just vomiting out new that wasn't good or better. It was just new for the sake of new. How much of that in your, your time in writing and covering gardening has been uh, working on trying to explain some of that story too, because as we're talking about it, you know, there, there's people that, are, that come to gardening, they're brand new to it. And almost that can be dizzying, just like there's all this new, but it does new mean better. How have you seen that over the years?
1: I used to do a lot of that uh, because I needed it. You know, I would go to Mance and I would look for the new stuff and I would do it. But one of the, the positive aspects of grumpy old man disease is that anything new you're like no something new huh well i don't think so you know he's gonna have to do something to convince this old salty sea captain <laughs> and so I'm, I'm very suspicious of new and then again this is the interesting thing about social media you see what everybody else is doing and so as you're looking at your instagram feed you're like ah, oh, this again you know how do they even know you know like that's when sometimes the light bulb goes off like let me take this you know again, I want to give the guy his props for his new thing. he's got that's that's just part of this business. Every year's got to be something new and it's not just this business. you know, I'm really into fishing. and so every year it's like uh, I already have something just like that, but this one goes a little deeper or a little you know it's the same thing. but there's certain things in both of these things gardening and fishing that have worked since the beginning uh just uh, the 1930s, whatever it might be. The difference is gardeners share their secrets. Fishermen don't. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen some of the work of,
0: um, you know, Pete Aldoff, people like that. One of the things that I've actually really appreciated, you know, some people call it the, the Dutch perennial movement, the new wave perennial movement, whatever. But, they're introducing, or reintroducing is really the better phrase, some plants that have been around a long time. These are plants that have been in cultivation for, in some cases, 100 years, but it feels like we did gloss past them. They did get lost in the shuffle sometimes of new. Has that been something that that has caught your attention at all? Because I see people growing some things. You actually even, um, you had focused on anemone Queen Charlotte at one point, and I think like woodland anemones the late season blooming anemones were like a group that just seemed like nobody ever paid attention to. And now all of a
1: sudden we're seeing them used in new ways. Maybe this, this this is as long as I've been doing this. uh, I I always say that gardening is like fashion. Uh, Plants come and go. Uh, You know, I have my favorites and, and I, that they've been around forever. There's a, a Mexican sunflower Tithonia torch. Uh, 1951 all America selection okay 1951 this plant in and we're in this conversation the, the latest thing is pollinator plants we have to grow for pollinators which is cool I, I'm, I'm I'm all in cool I wanted I wanted to help that but tithonia doesn't come up much in the conversation uh and funny thing that here in Pittsburgh there's another place a Pittsburgh Botanic Garden Two years ago, the, the executive director tells me, we're making a, a hillside pollinator garden. And I'm like, well, what's in it? And it's like all these great plants. And I said, well, do you know about Tithonia? Like, well, I know, I know the species. I said, well, Torch, you know, it, it doesn't need anything from the gardener. It could grow 16 feet tall. It could be eight feet tall. But every pollinator that you can think of, daytime, nighttime, comes to the flowers it would be a great half party annual to put in the back of the border, you know, and so then I get you know all up in a, I don't know. I brought him a flat of Tithonia, basically that I grew, you know. Like, That's what a good here.
0: gardener does, Doug. Obviously, these, everybody knows we
1: bring plants. <laughs> do you so
0: do you think that that is something that has driven this a little bit? You know that we we have just. Recently, we had Kelly Norris on, who's got a new book coming out, The New Naturalism. And we've seen some of the ecology conversation, which clearly, as you, you said at the beginning of our conversation, you were involved in you know, early being influenced by, that hopefully it may be where it like the convergence of those two things. I, I think for a long time, it felt like they were almost opposed the world of horticulture, the world of ecology, like they weren't in lockstep. But now there's like that awesome moment that you're, you're sharing where we can be like, Oh, pollinators. Well, th- that's the beginning of that is an ecological lean and goal, but then you can go, well, look at all this world of horticulture with things like Tithonia, so many plant species that that we can bridge
1: those gaps maybe a little
0: bit moving forward.
1: Well, it's interesting the way, way you say it. It, it, it at this time that this is happening, but when you start to look back at, Different eras. That's why I kind of think it's like fashion. You know, there was a period in the 1970s when ecology and gardening was coming to the forefront, where you know you had the Rodales uh, teaching us like, and and I started writing about this in the early 80s, and people were just like, "Well, I've always sprayed that sprayed that stuff on my roses. You know, that's how my grandparents and my parents did it. Why?" You mean I don't have to, you know, so we're just at a moment now where these two things have converged and hopefully we'll, we'll continue the, 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 the the super positive about this is when I wrote, wrote and talked about organic gardening in the eighties, I was coming up against resistance uh, and, and like grumpy old man disease. Like I'm not growing without my arsenic. You know, I mean, I've done that since, 1932. Now these first time, second time homeowners, they you don't have to convince them to think of ecology, think organic, think how I'm going to grow these plants with, without this. They don't want those kids and they don't want to to be uh, have any exposure to any chemicals they don't need to. And so there's no fight anymore. It's just like, you know, the name of the radio show that I do is called The Organic Gardener. Yet I still, you know, maybe once or twice a year, I get a, a call about, you know, some nasty uh, pesticide. And, and I have to, you know, stop for a second and just say, let me, let's just go over this, you know. And it's not like I always preface it with I'm not doing this from a soapbox. You can garden any way you want to garden. But let me explain this to you very simply and why I'm doing it this way. And that doesn't mean you have to do it that way. And I'll tell you what: when you present it from that standpoint, it's like, okay, we're not black and white. We're not organic or not organic. It's like, let me just share what I'm doing and why I'm doing it, and you know, usually finish with some kind of smarmy thing like everybody lives lives downstream, Mm -hmm. and they're like, what do you mean, everybody? Oh, oh yeah. (laughs) How much have you been?
0: Happy or unhappy with you? Mentioned going to Mance every year with the the green industry, as it calls as the title goes, or the horticulture world, the nursery world, evolving in some of the practices now um, using biological controls, heading in that kind of direction. Have you been encouraged by what you've seen, especially recently? Oh, c-
1: completely. You know, even even here locally, uh, again because. I'm been spreading this word for as long as possible. I have a lot of nurseries that carry very few chemicals because, you know, uh, a friend of mine runs a hardware store and he explained it to me this way. Sometimes people just come in, they want the seven, they and they're going to go out. You don't, you're not going to, you're not going to change their mind. But if you get somebody that's on the fence, you can tell them, you know, you can deal with that pest without exposing uh, yourself to a nerve toxin uh so i'm very encouraged by it you know it's it's funny when the garden writers all get together or garden communicators all get together you know there's so many of them that are well only like me only garden organically uh they get really upset sometimes at, at industry in fact i got upset on super bowl sunday Scott's Miracle-Gro comes on there, okay, and it's Martha Stewart, and there's all these other people, and they're dancing, whatever they're doing. I'm I'm just like, you know, I'm just like, you you don't have to do that. That's not the way to do it. It's not safe. Uh, Those are carcinogens. Uh, One time, uh, (laughs) I was speaking at this nursery, and I was doing, I was basically inferring that your children are going to get cancer. If you use two, four D, which is a herbicide, I was inferring that I wasn't saying that, but I was inferring it. And I looking you know, I'm always looking over the audience there's one guy who's just like, and I get off and my radio partner came up to me. She goes, that's the guy from Scott's he's following you.
0: <laughs> How much so, of the, the, I always tell people, Doug, any bag that says miracle on it, probably don't trust it. That, yeah. How much of it has been that, right? And, and to, to, to bring this conversation full circle on this subject, they have been one of the, the few companies with the ad dollars from an ad sales perspective to sometimes shape narrative or at the very least influence narrative in the world of gardening. You mentioned the Super Bowl commercial. How much of, of that do you feel did exist? For a long time, and I think that more so probably in a pre-social media stage, because people didn't have the platforms like that you do now or other people do, what was influencing it? You know, they had ad dollars;
1: they were willing to spend money. They would run, it, you know, ads in, in traditional papers. I think it's huge. I think that Madison Avenue, in general, if you really look back at it, completely changed everything about, especially about lawn care. Uh, if you go back and you look at these early lawns, the ones that I grew up on, they all had clover in them. Uh, it wasn't until Madison Avenue told us—I mean, that—that that was required. Your 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 grass seed was combined with clover seed because they have a symbiotic relationship. It from a plant perspective, it makes sense. Uh, you know, the clover takes nitrogen out of the air, it splits it, and hopefully make some available to the grass. Well, it wasn't until Madison Avenue said clover is a weed that that we said, okay, all right, I, it's a weed, you know. Again, so, this is a cultural thing. If you live in a certain neighborhood, and my best friend from fifth grade lives in one of these neighborhoods, you have to have a certain type of lawn. That's just the way it is. And so when I wrote my first book with my uh, radio partner at the time, Jessica Walliser, called Grow Organic. There's a whole chapter about, it, this book's out of print, so I'm not trying to sell the book. <laughs> but there's a whole chapter about organic lawn care. And and he read it. And again, the, the startling information about the herbicide that he'd been using when he has young kids and a dog, uh, you know, the two places we accept that, well, there's three places in our body that accept that chemical, but the two that talk about are hands and feet. Uh, That's why they tried to poison a guy in Russia with his, his underwear. So that's the other place where you absorb these chemicals. Uh, So you don't want them on that, you know? And so he, I said, what's the worst thing that can happen? Uh, It doesn't work for you. You go back to what you were doing. And so when I drive down that long kind of slope and I look at all those lawns, his looks phenomenal. Because they're not, it's not living on a on a eight hundred dollar two thousand dollar chemical regime. It's it's he's worked on the soil. Uh, he's got long roots, so he doesn't have to water every other day when we get to ninety degrees. And it looks like a regular lawn. It it doesn't have a weird color. That's the other thing you see a lot of is, uh, and I, I think uh, guys in general are like this, where they just they overdo it on on fertilizer. One pound means green. Well, maybe one and a half <laughs> means super green. Yeah. And you see super green when you drive down the road and you're like, okay, it used a little bit more of that, but there's a bunch of that sitting there that's, that is going to go downstream that you just, you bought and you just wasted. Uh, I'm, I'm completely encouraged by most of what Madison Avenue is doing now. Most and, and, and seeing a slow transition, it's just, I guess it's just human nature for somebody like me, to start yelling at the television because I feel bad for people. I, I, I don't want, you know, again, if they know it, okay. If they know what they're doing, knock yourself out. But if you are assuming that this stuff is, is, is okay. And they're telling you it's okay. And you think you're doing the right thing. You're not informed. You, 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 you know, it's, it's, to me, it's like, putting the warning on a pack of cigarettes, okay? You know, just just tell them what it is. Just tell them what that 2,4-D is. Tell them that that was a component of Agent Orange. Uh, just tell them. Then if they want to do it, go ahead. You know, Jeez. when you change the name of a company from Chemlon to True Green, you know, that's that's Madison Avenue.
0: How you've had an interesting seat to this, and I've already fully admitted to everyone, Doug, I will never be getting a sponsorship from Home Depot or Lowe's, a.k.a. Omdipa and Lowe's. You're you're beginning writing for Garden Content. They're not really a major player, but over these decades, they have not just become a major player, but many guests that we have that that work in the um, nursery side of this almost imply they're the major player that they're dictating so much of what actually happens in in breeding and production and plant heights and fitting on racks and this kind of conversation. And you mentioned I, I pick on this a lot. This is a really simple subject that maybe people aren't even aware of. But even their bagged products that they sell as topsoil or compost are like 90% peat moss in many cases, right? How much, how did that change? I mean, did you notice a change in your, in your work from those earlier days when they weren't as influential
1: to, as it moved on and they became bigger and bigger? Well, I think it became bigger and bigger with the advent of the box store. And that's when, you know, now you're buying Uh, whatever it is with the product or the plant you're buying a million of them instead of, you know, a hundred of them. And so, and that, that became, especially early on uh, when these places uh, took a foothold, they, they hurt the local nurseries for a while, but now it's turned around. Uh, Yeah. They're going to get a ton of business, but last year, every nursery that I know of had its best year. Okay. There's a re there's a reason for that, you know, whatever the reason is, but the, the local nursery is still there and it's still, uh, something that is important to people, uh, this year, because of the pandemic, the, my local nursery, uh, always the best nursery is the ones closest to you. I think then you expand from there. Uh, but they had a, a kid out there parking people in April which I'd never seen before and that kid was out there all the way through July parking people you know uh again this is this this comes in waves there's you know Martha Stewart wave the 911 wave the economic collapse wave now the pandemic wave uh but there's a reason nurseries have been able to to sustain this and and to your question it's it's a lot about the big giant box store has changed just people's view of, of how, how to do this, where it's, it's easy to go and get your two by fours, your uh, you know, some, some screening, uh caulk, uh, evergreens, uh, you know, whatever it might be, it's all there. Your one stop. Uh, so that is to me, that that's one of the biggest changes I've seen. And personally I, I try to fight that, I don't have anything really against box stores, but it's just you're not getting the same quality. You know, you might get quality when it's coming off the truck. But unless somebody knows how to water that, and that's that's my number one thing is is at a nursery, the poor people that have to drag that hose around, that's how we that's why we go there. You know, in most cases, we're not paying any more money uh, and we're getting much more information and again maybe this is just old school grumpy old man but i just i'm getting what i think is 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 better you know better quality better uh you know more unique plants uh much more information i often tell people yeah i do write about gardening and do gardening every day but not like somebody who works with a plant every day i learn so much from those people like uh you know, if it's a, a type of tuberous begonia, oh, Doug, this thing for two years is, you know, I'm like, oh, okay, bonfire. Oh, that's been replaced by bossa nova. I wouldn't know that unless I had those people. Like, I'd still be on on an older variety, but an improved one comes out. And so it's not somebody telling me I'm releasing this plant. It's good. It's somebody who's worked with the plant every day that says, oh, this thing is is better, you know. Holding a controversial question towards
0: as we wrap up here, Doug. So I know you wrote a book for the Pittsburgh and both penguins and Steelers and the color of yellow, black and gold for both teams. Right. But yet in my general vantage point of the world, I even recently did a, uh, a poll of a Rubeckia, autumn gold that everyone in the horticulture industry loves. But people don't seem to love yellow, Doug, across the country. In the poll, it was like uh, Richard Hockey at the Chicago Botanical Garden loves this plant. Everybody loves this plant. But yet, why don't people love yellow? Or do they love yellow in Pittsburgh? They love yellow here, but it's not yellow.
1: It's gold. It's black and gold. They they bleed black and gold. The irony to writing the book called Steel City Garden is, and I'm going to show you because I didn't even know you were going to ask me that. Can you see my Browns? uh? (laughs) So you, you are a
0: Browns fan. We have team Baker Baker Mayfield in Pittsburgh. This
1: feels like this could be dicey. I grew up in Cleveland and I admit in the book that I'm a Browns fan. Uh, But yeah, people make black and gold gardens here, but not just here. If you start to look at the team colors, even though my book says Steel City Garden, Uh, You go to Iowa, black and gold. You go to these other places, black and gold. And so uh, in that book, I'm just showing people how to use yellow. Uh, You know, you might not like yellow, but if you grow a plant called Corridulus lutea, this is perennial that in my climate uh, in the Northeast starts, it, it comes back every year, blooms, starts blooming in April. And last year was still blooming in December, you know, okay, it's yellow, Well, put something with it, you know, put something that, that makes that yellow look good to you. Uh, For me, I don't look at plants that way. I, 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 there's no color for me. You know, I, what was the combination? I had double pink hollyhocks with something yellow and it was, that is awful. It, It was awful. But to me, it's the way I look at the garden. If I see something awful, I look over at something pretty. <laughs> it, get, it makes my life in the garden so much easier. You know, if somebody else come, comes to the garden, they're the ones that pointed out the, the the pink and the yellow together, how awful it was.
0: Isn't that part of it too, though, right? It's that uh, the the theme that always comes up on the podcast, Doug, with almost whoever we talk to, if it's somebody in media, if it's a breeder, a designer, whomever, is creativity, is something that's a little under accepted here on this podcast, Doug. Seems to be one of the few places it comes up repeatedly. It is a big part of it. You try this, you experiment, meh, they love that. But yeah. this I love. Oh, what happens? And then that creative
1: process can break out for you. Well, my answer when my visitor saw the pink and the yellow together and told me how awful it was, I, I just say, well, I just saw that combination in fine gardening magazine. And so I think it's the latest trend. Then when you go to their garden, it's all pink and yellow. So, <laughs> <laughs>
0: I, It really is an, an interesting thing because everybody had this, um, even hostas. Here's one for you, Doug. Hostas <laughs> recently, because we've been starting to do this curated garden and plants program online that I've got access to like incredible hosta varieties. But the people... We're like 70% pro hosta, 30% against hosta. Despite it being historically like one of the, I mean, talk about a, a huge seller at independent garden centers across the country for 50 years, it has been a mainstay. Have you seen anything like that trending a little different? You know, like you mentioned, plants is sort of a, a form of fashion and gardening in that same way that like this plant that was really popular at one point seems like it's fallen off maybe now.
1: Well, in general, though, one big trend, and I'm sure you you've probably talked a lot about this, uh, isn't so much about a single plant, but smaller plants. Um, that's the that's the thing right now. And before it was smaller plants, it was chart breeders were making everything chartreuse. And before that, uh, I don't know what it was. So we do these plants that they come and go. Uh, one just good example that people often turn their nose up on is just a marigold. You know, uh, when all America, you know, there's a all America selection. that came out two years ago called big duck. It's a big duck series. Not the greatest name in the world, you know, but this is a plant that again, like tithonia, it'll just grow anywhere. It's three foot tall. It's filled with these big blossoms, but a lot of people are just like, eh, marigold, you know, uh, Balsam is another one. You know, balsam is, is an old-fashioned flower. You know, three foot tall type of impatient that um, it just people just don't grow it much, and yet it you could just throw seeds in the on the side of your vegetable beds, and it would just do its thing, and then give you more seeds. Uh, there, there's always plants that are coming and and going, and one of the good things about keeping like a garden journal is looking back and when i look at back at all my obsessions over these 30 some years of doing this that's when you, it kind of comes into to play you're like oh yeah that's right that's when oh yeah heirloom tomatoes you know i love my heirlooms but there was a time in the 80s when breeders were everything was hybrid and people were telling us the people that that were my age now you know these old guys I'm an old guy. (laughs) We're telling us that like, ah, tomatoes don't taste like they used to. And we'd be like, yeah, tomato's a tomato. Until somebody throws brandy wine into a catalog and it's like, oh yeah, thin skin, meaty, no seeds. And then heirlooms take off. You know, still heirlooms are a big deal, but not, there was a a period, especially heirloom tomatoes specifically, that it just exploded in the late 80s, uh, early 90s. uh, Because we, People had never really thought about that or seen them, and uh, Big Boy was, you know, it was, it was a great name. It was easy to grow. It was a decent tomato. But when you start now going down that rabbit hole of Eva Purple Ball and uh, Mortgage Lifters and Cherokee Purples and stuff like that, you know, not that I don't grow hybrids, but I grow lots of heirlooms for the stories, for the textures, for the flavors. Uh, so it just it again it just it cycles. Here and there, you know like right now like we talked about anything that will attract a pollinator is is a important plant or even more so, anything that'll help a monarch uh, is, is in the last several years has been a big deal. Changing your, your uh, lawn to to more of a eco-friendly space for wildlife in general that, that's become a a huge, a huge trend. One shrub that just doesn't get planted anymore is called caria, uh, K-E-R-R-I-A. And it's a shade lover, again, that doesn't need anything from the, the gardener. And when I did a story on uh, an online supplier of shrubs, shrub bucket, they just said, here, pick out these shrubs, see how they do, and write, a, you know, if you like them, write about it. And so one of the things I wanted was a caria that I had never seen before. And then when I interviewed the woman, she's like, when I worked in the trade and I had a thousand carriers, where were you? Because I can't even can't even get a a a, a nursery to, to take this plant in. And uh carrier it, it it is this weeping plant in the shade with these yellow flowers in the early spring. And then again, maybe if you get a decent season, a second time it roots on the bottom and makes more. And so from that one carrier plant, I, I've got three or four or five out there in the garden. It's just Finding them and and you know, rolling with the punches. Uh you know, oftentimes you can just uh stumble onto a plant like carrier. Uh tell me about this podcast you're doing with with Davy Tree, uh, Talking Trees is the, the title of it. Tell yeah, me where did that come from? So uh Davy Tree, uh I grew up in Ohio, uh and the city that I grew up in is right next to Davy's headquarters. I I always use Davey for my trees, and, and then when I get to Pittsburgh here, they start sponsoring the radio show, and we do, and eventually started doing a little couple minutes with an arborist, uh, and that, I liked that. Uh, I learned a lot from those guys, and we had a good rapport, and there were four or five of them that would come through during the season, come on every other week, and then they said, you know we've been thinking a lot about a podcast and that format that you're doing with our arborists and the other people you talk to that works. What do you think? And I'm like, I think it'd be cool. Uh, And so that's what I was pre-interviewing for when I talked to the, this woman in Austin and for, you know, a half hour we talked music and trees, but mostly music. When we get to the podcast, it'll be about that specific topic is wildlife and trees and so they have so much information now when i think wildlife and trees i think okay whatever that thing is a one oak tree can support 300 different types of caterpillar but i don't think about uh shagbark hickories being a great habitat for bats i'm like oh i got lots of shagbark hickories maybe there's bats up in there that'd be awesome and so it's it again for me my the fun thing is i there's no time limit or anything i get the person on we start talking the last guy i talked to uh isn't an arborist but he teaches people about uh, about tree care and such he's a he's a woodworker and so you know i, I work for davy tree i never have to buy the maple i want to and I, you know you just ask him like. Well what kind of you know what kind of artist are you with wood and he goes I, I make a lot of sawdust so uh, that's just all the podcast is you know you'll have a basic topic about uh lots of you know emerald ash borer spotted lantern fly we've talked about what's the right tree for for uh, uh firewood and and chainsaw safety there's a, a million different topics we're talking about uh and we're having a lot of fun doing it and that's i when i Put it together when they wanted this i said i just i want to yeah we'll get to that how-to information how it's very important but i want them to come across why do they do this why why are why are climbing trees or working with trees why is that what you do and that has been some very interesting stuff <laughs> in fact the woodworker he wanted to be a marine biologist and about three years into college he, he Realized to himself, I don't swim. I don't know how to swim. How many marine biologists do I know that don't swim? <laughs> uh, another guy whose great uncle was a, a, an arborist back in the day, with you know no safety regulations or anything, and he would watch his great uncle do this. Another g- guy was like he had a, a an older aunt that when uh, his uncle passed away, he saw people trying to take advantage of her in when they would come to the property. And so he, that's, that's what drives him is is to make sure that everyone, these customers that he sees are not getting taken advantage of. They're not getting the tree cut at the wrong time or the wrong way. And so that's my whole thing is, is telling the story of the person, but also including the, the hard stuff, the, the technical stuff, you know, how do you deal with an emerald ash borer? How do you, what should you be burning? You know, yeah, I don't really use the right safety techniques with my chainsaw, do I? or I shouldn't really be up that high. All that stuff comes out, but it's in a way I, I hope that that just show, showcases the person. Do you
0: feel that that's the the biggest change because the common theme that I've picked up on from you is that you just really enjoy telling these stories. As you you started loving newspapers, but you really and gardening was a great and a passion of yours, but also it gave you this vehicle to
1: to tell a lot of these stories. I'm just lucky that I like people. I really like people. I have lots of friends, especially my age. When I'm 61. That are sick of people. <laughs> you know, they just get it in their head, and and I, I saw it growing up when when I was the younger generation. And so I've always had a love of of people and and that the belief and just like when I was doing that those everybody garden segments that everybody does have a good story you just got your job is to get it out of them and the best way to do that is just make them feel comfortable and I'm not I'm not acting when I'm talking to people I'm just I'm interested in them that that's what makes I think for both of us our job is is being interested in people and and giving the opportunity to tell their stories because they don't know their they don't know their story's good. Uh, they know that like, okay, I know that, that, that that's that type of maple, that's that type of disease, and I'll tell the, the person how to fix it. They don't understand that a lot of that part is when you come to somebody's house, or when you in my case when I interview somebody, it, it's just two people Tr- trying to learn more about each other and I, that's just the way I, I like to do it. I would re- just enjoy that as I said, even if they weren't paying me to write this column, I would write it because I, I, when I come across one of these stories, I, I have to tell it because because people enjoy it and because people relate to it. you you know you tell one story of what whatever it is, you know, a, a dahlia that, that their grandmother grew that now they're still growing. When you post that story, you'll hear from all these other people. Like, oh, I I grow my grandfather's crepe myrtle up here, and we're not even supposed to grow crepe myrtle, and it always comes. You know, it it just becomes kind of a community. Uh, and 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 one of the things I'm most proud of is is on the radio show. I got a lot of listeners that aren't gardeners. I hear that all everywhere I go. If I'm at the Home and Garden Show, hey, we love your show, but we don't garden. That's because the story is in the person you know it could be talking about anything That they sell shoes that they put on roofs whatever it is the story is in that person and what drives them to do what they do and it's in some way they they all get enjoyment out of doing it even if they might not know it (laughs) and so that's just what i do i i just I, i that's how it's kind of uh evolved
2: ties of these old abandoned rails Wondering about the stories they could tell I think of all the weight I carry on my own And I try to empathize with all they bear There's something about the sun that brings me back to life it's just like staring in your eyes, and I can't tell you what it is I'm doing here. All I know is nothing's felt so right. So let. Wanna leave this state of my but this night never for me to be